you are listening to from Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul, and I am in addiction recovery. As you know, the month of September is National Recovery Month, and we have been celebrating it on this show by talking about ways that we can really harness the power of the present and start to see how we can change the way that we understand ourselves, that we look at ourselves, that we love ourselves, that we think about ourselves, and we do that all in the present moment by understanding what got us here, why we did what we did, understanding how we got to where we got, right? I'm starting to sound like a riddle, aren't I? And that's what you guys love about the show. And because I'm so amped up this month to bring in other people so that you can realize that the way I talk about addiction recovery is being mirrored throughout the land. And not everyone will utilize neuro-linguistic programming like we do on this show in order to bring the best out of people. There are a lot of different ways. There's the NLP and there's cognitive behavioral therapy and there's tapping and there's, there's meditation, there's hypnosis, just like there's AA and there's refuge and there's smart and there's young people in recovery. There's so many different resources out there for us to step into sobriety and journey through into addiction recovery. And today, I would like to introduce to you someone who works for Bright View Health. Now, this is an organization that contacted me after finding the podcast. They're located in Ohio, Kentucky, Delaware, Virginia. And today, they sent to me one of their community outreach managers. She has been sober since May 13th of 2015. She has an amazing story. And not only is her story amazing, but what she does for our community on a daily basis is truly inspiring. Everybody, please give a warm welcome to Julie Clemens. Welcome to the show, Julie. Hello, Jesse. Thanks for having me. It is a joy, a joy to have you on the show. I know I've been working with Avante over there at Brightview for some time. And for us to be able to do this during National Recovery Month is really, really special to me. So I want the audience to understand a, a bit about where you where your background was, what got you to us today on the microphone. So if you would please share a little bit about how you ultimately found yourself in the throes of addiction and then were able to journey into sobriety and ultimately into addiction recovery. Okay, yeah. Um, I had a very charmed childhood. I was the youngest of four with three big brothers that um, loved me fiercely and protected me. Um, So through high school, I never really experimented with drugs and drinking and things like that because I was so protected. but out of high school, I got married and had two children. Uh, that relationship was extremely abusive. Uh, I got out of that relationship and into a second abusive relationship, had two more children. Um, the relationship was, both of them were extremely abusive. I ended up with a broken back. A um, lot of other things, broken, sprained, torn, which eventually led me to pain management. Um, of course, you know, the height of the opioid epidemic and I'm sure everybody knows what's going on you know with all, with Pfizer and all of that things I was one of the people that um I don't know if you want to use the word targeted or um I just happened to be one of the people now when I look back I say one of the lucky ones because I wouldn't change my life um but I was overly prescribed a lot of prescriptions um 
a lot of pain pills, uh, the amounts, the kinds, the milligrams, everything continuously grew for several years. Um, I was also on a lot of other prescriptions along with, you know, all of the pain medications. It was Xanax and Adderall. Um, any, I, I don't know. I kind of felt like I might have been experimented on. I was, you know, <laughs> medicine to wake up and medicine to go to sleep and medicine to, you know, be okay throughout the day. Um, but it wasn't much of a life. It really wasn't. I, I wasn't the person that I know um, God destined me to be or that my parents had hoped I would be. Um, after, you know, several years uh, living like that, it was probably about eight years like that. Um, you know, the amounts just continuously growing and uh, me needing more and more and more. I eventually lost my doctor. And when I lost my doctor, um, I found a new doctor that would not prescribe the medications that I had been on. It did not go over well because at this point I was um, more than addicted to them. I was dependent. I was addicted. I needed them just to wake up in the mornings, you know, just to live my life. So I ended up buying them, you know, whatever I could find on the street, I was buying. Uh, that didn't last too long, you know, being a uh, mom with four children and uh, not working, I couldn't afford it. So someone actually introduced me to heroin and um, it, that was something, you know, we always say there's something that we wouldn't do. Oh, I would never do that. Or if I do this, as long as I'm not doing this, whatever this is, I'm okay. I haven't gotten that bad. Um, I said I would never do heroin, and uh, I did for close to a year. I also said I would never put a needle in my vein, and I did. Um, luckily, um, I, I don't know why I was able to pull myself before I got too deep um, to using intravenously, but that was less than six months. And I, I always tell everyone I would be setting up in the middle of the night trying to figure out how do I find sobriety? Because before you find it, it, it almost seems like a faraway land. You know, you hear about it and you, you, you've heard terms NA and AA and smart recovery, but what are they? Where are they? What do they look like? Um, what's a treatment center? What's, you know, IOP? What's all these things just don't really make sense. So I would be setting and fumbling through you know, a phone book or talking to people that really I shouldn't have been asking because they didn't know, you know, just like I didn't know, um, trying to find some place to help me get better. Um, a lot of fear in doing that because uh, for a very long time, I placed a lot of blame on my doctors for getting where I was. Um, after a year of being on all my medications, I went to my doctor and told him that I thought I was addicted and he told me that I wasn't addicted. I was just physically dependent. Um, well, that's I, not very helpful, is it? Right. It yeah, wasn't, you know. but you know what? I ran with it and was like, okay, well, if my well, doctor course. says Sound it's of my okay. permission. <laughs> right. Absolutely. You know, you know I, I am. With Purdue Pharma and what's happened with, oh, I have the, is it the Strickler family? I don't know if I'm remembering the name correctly, but it seems like they're finally getting their comeuppance. And this story you're telling now is one that I've heard in varying forms, but it's like, 
was fine. Didn't have any addiction issues, handled my alcohol fine. Never really got into drugs, major injury, painkillers. They cut you off the pills. You go to the street to find the pills. Eventually the, the street pills dry up. And next thing you know, you're doing heroin. And it seems like a story we've that's played itself out millions of times over the last 20 or so years. And uh, and certainly Instagram's got a ton of people willing to talk about this. As you go out there and you share your story, how many people do you hear that are still struggling with this? And especially in the area you're in, you know, that whole West Virginia, Virginia, Delaware, Ohio, Kentucky. I mean, a lot of the very rural areas are having a opioid epidemic that just seems to confound most of society because we just didn't think that drugs could cripple that area of our of our civilization yet it has what are you noticing when you go out and share this story and you find people living basically your story through their own eyes um unfortunately uh, i hear it a lot there are a lot of people with you know very very similar stories that you know they were on pain medications for you know, this injury or that injury or, you know, a surgery, you know, that got them on their medications and things like that. Um, I think we, we grew up in a time where we trusted our doctors. We just like we trust law enforcement and we trust our teachers, you know, we trusted our doctors to take care of us. And, you know, they listened to, you know, Purdue, I think before I said Pfizer, I got COVID on the brain, I think, but it's everywhere. It really is, you know, I, a couple of days ago, I stood in line with a young lady that was crying in the Walmart checkout line um, because she's in the throes of active addiction right now, and she's caught and she doesn't know how to get out. Um, unfortunately, no one is safe. It doesn't matter what state you're from. It doesn't matter what walk of life you're from. It doesn't matter how old you are. You know, at 27 years old, being a mom with four kids, driving, you know, a minivan. And I never thought that, you know, I would end up in active addiction. I mean, at that point in my life, I didn't even know what it was. You know, I was too busy watching Blue's Clues and giving my kids goldfish. And I had no clue that I was even in jeopardy of, you know, having, being a person with a substance use disorder. Yeah. That's a really good point to bring up, right? Like substance abuse, it seems like it, it can come out of anywhere um, for the lack of a better reference point right now. I remember watching a TV show during the, really the height of, I mean, just some bad, bad times in my life. And I didn't watch a lot of TV, but I watched a show called desperate housewives. And there was a character in there who just drank a bunch of wine and everyone called her an alcoholic and she had to go to rehab. And I thought, that's not addiction. Addiction is spending your last dollar on cocaine, knowing your car payment's not going to go through tomorrow. But I think it was in my blindness of, oh, my addiction's worse than other people's addiction, that I didn't realize that addiction shows itself in infinite ways. When people come to Brightview, when people step in through the doors, how is it that you are able to encourage them to realize that everyone's story everyone's trauma everyone's suffering it, it's real it means it, it's real and it's legitimate because it means something to them and it's what led them to be standing in front of you how do you get them to stop comparing themselves well mine can't be like you said well i'm not that bad because i'm not doing this yet 
well, you don't have to be doing that in order to decide to stop. That rock bottom isn't a place, it's a mindset. Right, absolutely. Um, I think one of the things that we do, I think we do beautifully at Brightview is we individualize treatment um, because we're all different. We've all gone through different things. You know, we all want different things in our lives and we have an amazing team that makes sure that everyone that walks through our doors realizes that they have value, that they are worthy of being loved. And, you know, let's take this one day at a time, one minute at a time, if we have to, to get you to where you need to be. Before we turned on the microphones, we talked a lot about learning to love yourself and being able to just look yourself in the mirror and not be disgusted by who looks back. And I get this with a lot of people who join the tribe, listen to the show, our clients of mine. You, I can't just you know, snap my fingers and have them go from hating themselves, loathing themselves to loving themselves. And it's a, it's a process. It's a progression, just like sobriety into addiction recovery is a progression. What are your thoughts on, on how you can individualize that for the person? What is it that you start to show them, teach them, talk to them about so that they can take that journey from self-loathing to self-love? Oh gosh, that's a, that's a big ask, Jesse. I like to ask impossible questions. It's my thing. (laughs) Right. Um, I, I am one of, and I know there's a lot of people that agree with me and there might be some that don't, but I believe when, when we are in the throes of active addiction, we do not love ourselves because if we did, you know, we wouldn't allow the things we allow, do the things we do. And therefore it diminishes our self-worth. It, it, we feel like it diminishes the value that we hold, um, which isn't true. We're, you know, our judgment is just clouded and we're not seeing it, but everyone, it doesn't matter who you are. We all have value and we are all worthy of love. Um, I think the biggest thing that that was one of the hardest things for me was to realize that, um, I deserve it. I deserve to be loved. I deserve to love myself. Uh, it was a process and it was a very, very long process. And I, and I, and I'd be lying if I didn't say I still struggle with it today. There are, you know, there are mornings where I look in the mirror and, and I find flaws and things I don't like about myself and I get disgusted with myself and that negative self-talk. Um, and I have to remind myself of who I am, you know, um, because Today, I'm important to me, and today, I do love myself, and I, I can't allow that negative self-talk to come in and, and put me in a mindset or a place I don't want to be, and I struggle with seeing others that think they have no value and, and think they're not worthy, because that is one of the biggest things that I want everyone to know, is you are loved. And even if I've never met you, I love you because you are my brother. You are my sister. You know, in recovery, we, we, we share a likeness and that we share this disease. And I will be there for you, you know, just like you were my own brother or sister. That's something I talk about on the show quite frequently is that 
when we're in these rooms, we all have we all have one thing in common. We all have thousands of things in common. But the one thing that all brought us into this room today, who brought us to this show, is that we all had suffering and we chose substances that ultimately we thought were medicine that became our poison. And so you look around a room, you think about who else listens to the show, you think about who Brightview goes out and helps. We all have suffering. And uh, I think it's unfortunate that most people think that in order to learn to self-love yourself, to get into this kind of personal growth and development, you have to, and, and to be a part of this community, you have to be in the active throes of addiction. We'd, we'd learn with National Recovery Month that the recovery is for everyone. And just because you're not on heroin or cocaine or drinking copious amounts of alcohol, if you still have self-loathing, if you can't look at yourself in the mirror and love yourself, then you're still, you're suffering and you're suffering from something. And there's, and it's, it's time that you seek some level of help. It may not be an addiction recovery center, but there is help out there for you that can get you to stop hating yourself. And I think it's important people realize that we're all recovering from something. The something may just be varied and infinite, but it doesn't mean that we're all still not suffering. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, that's, I think, human nature. And I, as part of our nature, we always categorize how bad something is. And we like to, you know, compartmentalize things. But yeah, like you said, we all are suffering and and we all I think everyone needs a hand sometimes everyone needs a hug sometimes and I do believe that um, the people that have struggled with any type of substance use disorder or you know a self-loathing a codependency and they've kind of you know turned their life and they're on the other side I think that they can be some of the most loving, most caring, most um, generous, faithful, integrity-filled people that you could ever want to know. And I know that because I see, you know, I like to say, you know, I, I feel like these are, this is, this is my tribe. You know, it doesn't matter if you're someone that's still struggling to pull 24 hours together or you're someone that's got 24 years. You know, you have people that, that are your people that belong to you and that love you. I love that you use the word tribe because I, I call I call my group, my wise mind empowerment and leadership tribe. And it's very much, you know, the tribe realizes that every person plays an integral role. Everybody has uh, a responsibility. Everybody is here. They, they can help where they can help and they can uh, they can seek help from others who perhaps don't struggle with perhaps self-loathing, but might struggle with body issues. And it, it, it's a beautiful, beautiful word, the, the tribe. And you talked about earlier, it's almost impossible to do it alone without a, without a community. How is Brightview stepping into the forefront of the industry to really create the community that people can rely on out there in Ohio, Kentucky, Delaware, and Virginia? Um. Yeah, I think having the support that we need is is an integral part of us, you know, stepping from sobriety to recovery and, and embracing recovery. And one of the things that uh, Brightview is doing is they have someone like me at every location, someone that's going to be out in the community, someone that's going to be at all these events, Um someone that if need be, they can meet you at a coffee shop to talk to you about what we do and the services that we provide. 
They can walk through our front doors with you. I think sometimes people don't understand as a community outreach manager, yes, I do work with um, partnering agencies and businesses, but uh, I'm that I've also been put in my role so that I can work with um, patients as well. And that's one of the, my favorite parts of the role that I'm in is being able to be out there so that I can give people the shoulder they need or you know, even if it's standing behind them to get, help them, you know, get that courage to take that step through the door. That's one of the big things that we're doing. And then we also have a lot of other um, supports. We have a case manager at every, all of our locations and different groups happen at each location. You know, one of the groups that the location I work at is a, uh, a skills group you know, teaching people how to, you know, either relearn the skills that we forgot or maybe learn skills that we never knew. You know, parenting classes, budgeting classes, things like that. Because I think one of the things that we don't realize because we're almost ashamed to admit it is we don't know how to do something that we should know how to do because, you know, our peers that didn't struggle with a substance use disorder, they know, you know, how to, you know, manage their money or, you know, budget for something that they want, things of that nature. And it, it, it's not just, it doesn't just affect those of us that have a substance use disorder. This is something that affects, you know, everyone, all walks of life, but it's so hush-hush that we don't realize people are struggling, you know? So it, it's trying to normalize it, I guess, and, and let everyone know that it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to say, you know, I kind of struggle with this area or, you know, I didn't really learn these parenting skills and I would really like to because I want to be the best parent I can for my children. Um, you know, just learning how to ask for what you want and say what you need. I love that you mentioned about bringing this out into the light. Uh, there's a lot of people who talk about the stigma of addiction. And I think maybe because I've lived in Los Angeles, specifically Hollywood for the last 10, 12 years, I feel like I live in a community where it's not a stigma at all. It's almost a badge of honor. I mean, you see celebrities come out, musicians come out and say it, and all of a sudden they get pedestaled. And certainly in the community, just as normies, we like to call ourselves, uh, you know, if you say you're in addiction recovery, I feel like everybody, you know, pat you on the back and applauds. I mean, I'll go give speeches and it won't even be an addiction recovery kind of speech. And I'll just tell, it'll come out that I'm in addiction recovery and like, people applaud. And I, my favorite joke after that is I think everyone should wake up to applause in the morning, especially for being sober. And I realize that I live in one version of a community that seems to embrace it, while many people live in another version of a community that might attach a stigma to it, want it to stay in the shadows. Then you see Simone Biles come out. She has her mental health uh, issue there, and I don't even know how to reference it, but she has some mental health stuff go down over there in Tokyo. And now you see people wanting to talk more about mental health issues. And it's, it's almost like, okay, perhaps this emotional corner so many of us have been put into maybe now we're, it's about time we all get invited out into the light we discuss our emotions we discuss our mental health we discuss how it's it's radically changing our entire civilization drugs and alcohol abuse and all the other myriad of vices we can have as you really hear me go on into all of that 
how have you begun to see a shift just since, I mean, you've been sober now since 2015 in addiction recovery, uh, a little bit after that, but looking back at this transition that civilization, our society seems to be going through where mental health and bringing these addictions into the light and talking about them as if it's, don't be ashamed. We're not weak-minded. We're not weak-willed people that this is, this is something that millions and millions of people are going through. Why are we trying to do it alone or do it through whispers? Um, sadly, I, in my corner of the world, I don't know that we've experienced how you've experienced, you know, applause and everybody's, it's a badge of honor. Um, there's still a lot of um, shame here. Um, when I first very first got into recovery, I was embarrassed to tell people. I didn't want anyone to know, you know, in my neighborhood, my neighbors, you know, going to the store, wherever, uh, because of that stigma, because people, you know, I was judged. Um, even recently, I've been judged, you know, in the last six months, I had someone um, tell me that I was just an addict. Um, unfortunately, but the thing is, I'm really proud of me. You know, I couldn't be more proud of the things I've overcome. I used to be embarrassed of the things that I had done, you know, in my active addictions. But now I realize every single step I took, every single decision I made led me exactly where I am and exact, to exactly who I am. And I love me today. I, I'm not willing to change that. So you know, everything that I went through has put me right in this position to maybe, you know, help the next person that that needs, you know, a push. Um, so anyone that's struggling, anyone that's, you know, embarrassed of the things that they've done or, you know, struggles with facing the stigma because it is very, very real in rural um, America, rural Ohio. Um, let your light shine, you know, show who we are, what we do, um, and walk back with your head how high and, and your shoulders pulled back. If you need some help, let me know. I will lift your chin because you have a lot to be proud of. That is a beautiful message. That is a beautiful message. You know, I think whether you said it before we got on the mic or whether it's happened during the show, but I want to circle back to it. You had said that, you know, we all have this idea of the thing that we won't do that, you know, you would say, okay, yeah, I might be taking painkillers, but I'll never do heroin. I had promised myself no needle drugs, no needle drugs, a movie by the name of uh, basketball. I want to call it basketball diaries with Leonardo DiCaprio back when he was like a super teenager. Uh, it just, I was like, wow, this can, this is a bad drug. Requiem for a dream reminded me how bad needle drugs would be. And I think a lot of people, they get this image in their head. They're like, well, that's what an addict looks like. So as long as I remember a video when I first got into sobriety at Kaiser and the woman would talk about how there was like a crazy gym is this addict on the corner of a street by her dad's work. And she always thought, well, that's what an addict must look like, you know, just stands on the corner and mumbles to himself and always looks intoxicated. So when she got older and started to use, as long as she never resembled crazy Jim, she didn't consider herself to be an addict. How much of what some people might have as their own picture in their head of what an addict looks like, if it's that 
you know, crazy homeless person on the corner. So then you say, well, I'm an addict. Now all of a sudden they're like, well, in my head, I always thought it looked like crazy Jim. So if you selling me you're an addict and that's what I think an addict looks like in my head, you must be like that person. So how much do you think that people's preconceived ideas of what an addict is versus what it actually is, is what is standing in between society really fully embracing those of us who've had the strength and are willing to push through addiction and come out the other side of it? I think it has a lot to do with it because I think um, that and the fear, the unknown, because, you know, sometimes we have these preconceived notions and these preconceived notions about crazy Jim, crazy Jim was also dangerous. Crazy Jim also was a thief or whatever. Now they don't know crazy Jim may not have struggled with a substance use disorder because, you know, it's, just what we see, not what we know. Um, so I think from talking to people and asking questions, because I, I, I want to know, you know, if, if you have this preconceived notion that, you know, someone like me, one of my brothers and sisters, they're, they're not worthy or whatever it is you're thinking, why? Why do you think this? And one of the biggest answers is fear. Fear, they don't know what to expect they don't know who to trust they don't know what's going on they don't understand and I think that's where it comes from is we fear what we don't understand and they don't understand um, substance use they don't understand um, how we got to where we're at they don't understand the strength and the courage it took you know to take that step into sobriety and recovery. And so they don't understand how hard we're going to fight to keep it. Um, but yeah, that's that most of what I see, I would say that's where it comes from. I love that. I just love how you were able to summarize that. And it really, it's a growth that our society is moving toward. I think, I think it is a transition to understanding how mental health and physical health and all of these things are tied together. And we're going to close up on this. And one of the things I've been saying a lot on the show recently is that we often say that children are resilient and that, you know, children can go through a, a myriad of things that happen in their, in their lives and they're resilient. They'll be fine. And then yet we see so many adults who have mental health issues, who have physical dependencies to alcohol, drugs, or sex or gambling. And now we've got this new cell phone that most people don't even realize is one of the most addictive devices ever invented. I, I don't think that children are resilient. I actually think that they're very sensitive to their environment, to the way people talk, the way people treat them. And I think they go ultimately grow up and then they mirror those behaviors for the rest of their life. Emotional intelligence is something I think that we really need to be spending a lot of time on uh, with children and with adults and really moving into a direction where we pay attention to our EQ just as much as we seem to care about our IQ. If I were to flip the microphone right now, Julie, and every single person on this planet could hear you, addicts, people who don't think they're addicts, people who support addicts, people who decided to stop loving addicts, people in sobriety and recovery, the whole world could hear a message from you. What would that message be right now? That message would be that, oh gosh, it's a lot. So say it all. Um, all right, here we go. Um, to those that are struggling 
you are worthy, you have value, and you are loved. To those that um, don't quite understand, ask. You know, ask me, ask Jesse, ask the person. You know, if, if you're afraid of offending us, say, you know, I'm afraid to offend you, but I would really like to know how did you get here? You know, how can, you know, I help my child? How can I help my niece? How can I, whatever it may be, um, and supports. We cannot do this alone. And, and I'm not just talking about those of us that struggle with a substance use disorder. I'm talking about our parents, our children, our friends, our coworkers. We all need support, every single one of us. I did not realize the effect that my addiction had on my parents until I got out of it, until I got into recovery, and until my mom told me. I used to cry myself to sleep every night wondering if I was going to get a call that you were dead. I didn't, I didn't realize you know, and that was a very profound moment for me that I didn't just need support. So did my mom, you know, so did my dad and my brothers. You know, I talked about my three older brothers. They needed someone too. they needed someone to talk to, to vent that where they could tell what their little sister was going through without judgment, without, well, you know, because I'm still their sister and they still love me. Um, I feel everyone does, we have to be held accountable for our actions. And I understand that. And I understand sometimes we have to take a step back, but just know that we really, really, really do need the support of those that we love. Um, that was one of the most integral things of my recovery and still is to this day. Um, you know, I talked about being in two relationships that were abusive. I got married in March of this year, believe it or not, in Hawaii um, to an amazing man who is also in recovery. And our life kind of, whether I'm at work, whether I'm at home, whether we're with the kids, you know, it, it's all about recovery because we've built this beautiful life that we love. And you can't tell when, when I'm clocking out and when I'm when I'm doing something for fun, because it all looks very similar. And, and I think it's because when I go to these events and I go places, there's so much love and there's so much support that it leaves you with this just very surreal feeling of, you know, nothing can go wrong, which, you know, things can, but if you rely on your support, and you utilize them the way that you should. Yeah, you know what? We're still going to have bad days. Yeah, we still might mess up. But that's okay because we're human. We were made to make mistakes. You know, it's okay to say, you know what? I didn't mean to do it this way. I should have done it this way. Or I really messed up. Or can you help me? I think that was one of the hardest things for me to learn was how am I going to ask for help? But, you know, when you find, you know, like we talked about, when you find your tribe, when you find those people that genuinely care and love you, they're not going to judge you and they're not going to care. And they're going to say, OK, let's take a step back, let's take a deep breath and let's, you know, start from scratch or whatever we need to do. Just know that if you don't feel like you have support, it's out there. Reach out. 
um, you can find me, you know, on the Brightview Facebook page. You can, um, there's just so many people that would love to support you and be there for you. You know, if you're in one of the states we're in, walk into a Brightview Center. I guarantee you will be enveloped with a lot of people that, you know, love you and want to help you in whatever it is that you need. Just a beautiful message. And earlier when you had mentioned going through the phone book, and that was just in 2015, I think before we turn on the mic, I asked you when that was, because I thought phone book, I was like, was this in 1987? <laughs> um, we are really in a beautiful, beautiful place in the world where we have this internet where anyone struggling can immediately Google and 50,000 places will show up. It can also be an inundation of information, y'all. So if you are in Ohio, Kentucky, Delaware, Virginia, you go to the Brightview website. I'll include the website in the show notes. It's not too difficult to get on the internet and find support, whether it be Brightview, whether it be someone else. And just a beautiful message that you shared that it's, it's all about the tribe. I talk a lot about how there aren't problems and there aren't bad days as much as there are solution opportunities and, and opportunities for us to take something that we perceive as bad and flip it into good. I'll never forget that on August 13th of 2016, I landed incorrectly doing a solo skydive and I exploded my left knee, uh, micro fractures, tore the uh, MCL, LCL, meniscus, everything. And that's what led me to be laid up in bed for four months, which took what was already a difficult enough to deal with addiction and just sent me down into a spiral and abyss that six months later, the only option was either to die or to get sober. And I remember thinking, this is the worst day of my life in that hospital, having them tell me that your knee is ruined and you're going to be laid up for four months. I thought this is literally the worst. And I've, I put tr cars into trees drunk and still thought that was the worst day of my life. And the day I walked into Kaiser Permanente, I looked back at that day as the best day of my life because had it not sent me down that spiral, I may have been trying to manage the monster that was within and never having even attempted sobriety. So I think for all of you out there who are listening, just realize that what you can perceive today as bad could have just been the best thing that ever happened to you when you take the power from that day and you let it lead you to sobriety and to recovery. Julie Clemens, having you on the show has been truly awesome and inspirational. I love it when I meet other people out there doing the things that I do. And it just means so much that Avante over at Brightview reached out and that we had you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here and for all that you do in the community and for being a part of my National Recovery Month uh, story arc. Thank you for having me, Jesse. It has been a pleasure. And I agree, it is wonderful to see um, across the nation. There are a lot of us that are like-minded and um, just wanna be there to support each other. Absolutely, absolutely. Go out, everybody, find your tribe, find the support that you need. It is there for you. And as always, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Every single day is the best day of our lives when we wake up sober. Shout out to Sunshine, glow on. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.